The Lifestylist, episode 11, featuring Tony Wrighton. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Support for this episode comes from Bulletproof, an amazing way to upgrade both your morning coffee and your breakfast so you stay full, cravings-free, and energized for hours. And thanks to new Bulletproof Instamix, you can literally have an amazing creamy latte that supercharges your day anywhere, anytime in about five seconds. Check it out at Bulletproof.com, and while you're there, you can use the coupon code LUKESTORY to save 10% off your order. This is your pal, Luke Story, from LukeStory.com. On today's show, I'm bringing you a great interview with my friend Tony Wrighton, who's the host of a podcast called Zestology, on which I've been a guest, I think, two or three times now. So it was really fun to get Tony into the studio today and have him on my show. He's from the UK, he's over here visiting, and we took him on, (laughs) me and my friends, took him on a full immersion LA biohacking lifestylist trip on my 45th birthday, and we just had an amazing time. So one of the episodes of his podcast that I'm on, which you probably would like to hear, is us out in the field recording a podcast all day long on his recorder, like a mobile field recording of sorts, which was really fun. But today we sat in the studio and I sat him down with the full intention of interviewing him on the subject of NLP, how to brainwash yourself using neuro-linguistic programming. Now, I'm not sure how familiar you are with that, but it's an amazing sort of hypnosis technology. And Tony is trained at the highest level of NLP, so I really wanted to dig into that. However, Being buddies like we are, we ended up just shooting the shit about a number of different topics, of which I think you'll find great interest and entertainment, but I want you to know that it's going to be a few minutes into the interview before we actually finally hit the topic of NLP. But what's amazing about this interview is Tony's a guy like myself who had his own personal struggles. Now, his had a lot to do with some very serious health conditions that he ran into that he's managed to overcome using many of the practices discussed on this very show. So it's, you know, a real story of kind of redemption and hope with Tony because he was kind of in bad shape and has managed to pretty much fix himself using the tricks that we talk about here. So we dive into some of the stuff that's really helped him, and there's a lot of value in this interview. And I think probably the most interesting part, though, for me, is really learning about what NLP is and how you can use it. And as an added bonus, we also cover the topic of something called EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique. And this is also known as tapping, which is this really trippy thing that I've been doing you know, here and there for quite a long time. And it's something I want to learn more about and try to utilize more. So we cover some really cool specific tactics at the end, and in the beginning, we just have a really great fun chat, and you're a fly on the wall listening to two guys just have a ball, getting to know one another. So sit back and enjoy this show with Tony Wrighton from the Zestology Podcast. Do you know what's awesome? 
What's awesome is that you don't have to remember anything that Tony and I discuss in this episode. You know why? Because I'm going to send you my absolutely free episode upgrade. What's that, you say? Well, the episode upgrade is a document which contains all of the live links, notes, and resources discussed on this here show. Pretty cool, right? So all you have to do to get your episode upgrade is this. Super simple. Just text LIFESTYLIST11 to the number 44222. So send a text. You could even pause this right now and do it so you don't forget later. Text LIFESTYLIST and the number 11 to the number 44222. Or you can always get it at this link. LukeStory.com forward slash LIFESTYLIST11. You should also take a minute right now to just click subscribe to this show so you don't miss next week's episode 12 with my teacher, Kundalini Yoga Master, Tej Khalsa. Tej and I sit down in the studio and discuss in-depth Kundalini Yoga, its history, origins, and the power of God's technology for about an hour and a half. You don't want to miss that one. And you really don't want to miss any of the upcoming episodes because they're all quite amazing if I don't say so myself. So make sure you subscribe, and while you're at it, please leave us a review and a rating in iTunes so we can take this thing to the next level. Today's guest is Tony Wrighton. Tony's a neurolinguistic programming trainer and master practitioner. He's written three books on NLP. He's also a TV presenter in the UK on Sky Sports and presents a podcast looking at energy and vitality called Zestology which happens to be, incidentally, the first podcast I was ever featured on. So it holds a special place in my heart. I'm really excited to have Tony on the show today and talk about all things biohacking and NLP and all kinds of crazy adventures that we've gotten into on his trip here to L.A. for the Bulletproof Conference. Welcome to the show, Tony. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great. So those of you that are listening, Tony's been over here visiting from the UK, obviously, hence the accent that you're about to discover. Mm -hmm. And this is really fun for me. My unfair advantage. (laughs) When you're (laughs) over over here, here, it certainly is. (laughs) So Tony had me on his show, and he was actually the first guy to host me on his podcast. He heard me on, um, uh, or saw me on a YouTube video at this Neil Strauss event, hit me up and asked me to be on his podcast. So I, of course, obliged. And then after that, we just kind of formed a friendship. And he's over here and returning the favor by being on my podcast. We've spent the past few days together. Actually, we're at the Bulletproof Conference mm. palling around. And then we did, on my birthday yesterday, this full immersion into... I mean, all things, my Los Angeles, California. That was amazing. Health nut lifestyle. Yeah. So Tony's kind of really gotten indoctrinated into the lifestylist way of life. And it's been really fun to be able to share that with someone who hasn't done some of those things before. So... Tony, let's get into just a, a brief bit of your background. Everyone but likes... Just what you were saying on that, you know, obviously when we... When you came on my t- show... I titled it slightly provocatively, Confessions of a Biohacker. <laughs> and some people didn't even know what a biohacker was, you know. But that's been one of the most listened to shows. And a lot of the stuff you were talking about sounded so out there for people, you know, going to collect your own spring water in the mountains and all that kind of thing. So for me to actually come and do it was awesome. Yeah, I bet. Really good. I bet. Yeah, because yeah. the tone of your show, I got the sense that your audience was maybe a bit more um, mainstream and not as left field as mine probably is and will be not as left field as you there's not many people <laughs> left field as you <laughs> this is true this is true I, I proudly admit that yeah 
So, yeah, I guess, yeah, bringing different ideas to as many people as possible. That's what I'd like to do. I love that. I love that. And really, that's ultimately my goal, too. I mean, Mm. all of the fringe dwellers that are people that I normally interact with. Yeah. They're sort of on board with all the stuff that I do anyway. Yeah. So they don't really need a podcast to learn about that because that's already sort of incorporated into their lifestyle. But it was interesting because when I listened back to your show, yeah, the tone is sort of like, now I know this sounds crazy, guys, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. this guy's a little out there. It's kind of, it's going to sound weird, but let's just roll with it. So, Well, yeah. you've got to remember that my friends and most of my listeners think that about me. And I think that about you. Right. <laughs> so it's just different right. levels. You know what I mean? For sure. For sure. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it was just all the more fun to kind of get you mm. over here and have the experiences that we had. And what you find is that there's this, oh God, it's like the, it's the great paradox. It's that, uh, things that people find to be strange to me, I guess I just have a backward brain, but to me, those things are normal. Like going mm. to get spring water out of a mountain, for example, which is something that of course I'm in love with and talk about all the time. This is something that human beings have been doing for <laughs> a couple million years, right? Yeah. Only since, what were you saying the other day, since the Romans, was it? The Romans invented the uh, viaduct. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so only since that, what's that, 3,000 years or something? Yeah, less. Okay, yeah. a couple yeah. thousand years, human beings have been getting the water, we get it the way we get it now, mm. right? Mm. So it's actually more strange to have water running through pipes under the ground that are sometimes bumping into and leaking with the pipes that get rid of our refuse yeah. than it is to go into nature and have Mother Nature give you the water. So... In my world, that's actually more normal than yeah. having a water come out of a pipe next to your toilet that you yeah. drink. And uh, no, you you're know. right. And I learned a lot from you. You know, when we first, when I interviewed you before and you were talking about, you know, drinking chlorinated water and, and then also you're like, oh man, I would never put my phone in my pocket. And, you know, I was sitting there with my phone in my pocket as I was doing the interview. You got me thinking about some really nice stuff. So, and I guess once you've done all these things once or twice, it doesn't seem so woo-woo after that, does it? Totally. Well, it just becomes part of your everyday lifestyle. So, for example, say having a little grounding sheet at the foot of your bed, mm. which we got to order you one of those too. Yeah. By the way, we yeah. go on Amazon. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I've not done, done that. When we're done with the show. Why do I need that again? Well, this is another one of those things. My friends are going to be listening to this and rolling their <laughs> eyes. Oh, God, now he's going to have a grounding sheet. Okay, so, so, so check this out. Check this out. Every living creature on the planet, right? Every sentient being on the planet since the beginning of time, for the majority of their existence, is in touch with the ground. And the electrical charge and dissipation of the electrical charge within them into the ground. So with the exception of birds Mm. that are sometimes in flight, although I'm sure spend the majority of their lives actually landed somewhere on a tree, which is grounded to the earth. So... We're always in touch with the planet. It was on, literally like touching the ground. Yeah. It was only with the advent of rubber-soled shoes and then, of course, rubber-tired cars that we're spending so much time in and multi-level buildings in which there's not a dirt floor. Again, this is a relatively new way of living where we spend the majority of our lives disconnected from the actual Earth. And the Earth has a magnetic field, it has an electrical charge, and it's really, really good for you and essential for health and just for life. We come out of the earth. We're made of this stardust. Mm. We're made of this soil, essentially, right? We're made of everything that's in the earth. So the further we get away from that, I find the more disconnected that I am. So 
it's it sounds weird to be like why would you sleep with a sheet at the end of your bed plugged mm -hmm. into the wall that's plugged into a rod that goes down 40 to 50 feet into the earth under this building that we're in this apartment building we're in right here there's a rod that goes down in the ground i got a wire hooked up to a sheet on the foot of my bed that my feet touch yeah so i'm essentially getting that mm. energy from the planet like every other animal is supposed to be now that would sound weird to someone who's been around for the past couple hundred years. But what would really be weird is going back 10,000, 50,000 years and explaining to a human that from the day you're born, the rest of your life, you're really never going to get to touch the planet unless mm. you're at a park, at the beach, at some special... And even then, you're probably wearing your shoes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's one of those backwards things again where to me what we're doing is weird what i'm doing is actually normal and natural is is just making one little simple step to be in touch with mm. the planet in, in in as often as possible and the easiest way to do that is, of course when you're sleeping and one of the objections that comes up the most when kind of different ideas like this get introduced into my show is well you know you look at the evolution of man over millions of years and when you look at us now, we're living longer than ever before. We're more prosperous than ever before. We've, we've got less worries because we're safe and we don't have to worry about the, you know, being attacked by a bear. Um, so why do we need to ground ourselves or collect our own spring water? It all seems to be working perfectly fine. And I kind of feel like I know the answer, but, you know, it's, that's the objection that people have. Well, the answer is, is that before, I mean, you really need to talk to Daniel Vitalis about this. Yeah, this is yeah. his, he could give you a really good answer on this, but uh, things like degenerative heart disease and mm. diabetes and cancer and all of the diseases that we everything with from inflammation, now, yeah, didn't yeah. exist. Okay, <laughs> in indigenous peoples, so we think we're doing all right. But if you look at our current medical epidemic worldwide, it's due to our modern lifestyle and the food that we eat, right, mm. and the way that we live. So because we don't have a, a larger context other than the 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years we've been alive, we think, oh, I'm doing okay, I got a job, I'm safe, you know, uh, no tigers are trying to eat me and I'm doing just fine. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually our health and our well-being is worse than it's ever been in the history of us as a human animal. So we're actually not really doing very well at all. Because <laughs> we're dying, you know, really horrible deaths of, of disease, right? So, uh, you know, can you live a happy life without doing any of this stuff? Yeah, totally. I mean, you seem like a happy guy. You didn't know about any of this stuff a short time ago, but you were starting to manifest, as I understand, some physical mm -hmm. problems. So you're starting to research this stuff out of need and desperation, which is like, you know, it's like a foxhole prayer. <laughs> you know? Well, I would say I, would be, I was in the top kind of 1% of people in terms of awareness of uh, health and energy and looking after myself. And yeah, I didn't know anything. <laughs> Do right. you know what I mean? And and now I feel like I'm still just learning all the time. That's been great hanging out with you for the last couple of days as well. And, you know, going, seeing the weird devices in, in your house, in your bathroom. Yeah, you're sitting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, funny. you're sitting right. So right now, uh, Tony's sitting about one foot away from the infrared sauna in my office. On, yeah. on top of that sauna, there is a rebounder, which is uh, a, a, essentially a small trampoline, which, by the way, we're going to try that in a few okay. minutes. Yeah. It's my own little biohacking lab. Okay. You know? Yeah. And then there's a balancing ball, which I use as my office chair a lot, and I just roll around with it for movement. And then mm. up in the corner there, we've got an ionizer, which is a um, 
ozone generator and I'll yeah. turn that on from time to time. And okay. Just yeah. Get a bit of fresh air in the room. And yeah, the whole place is just kind of surrounded with these, these gadgets. And actually here, I'll put my foot on my grounding pad right here. And if I, if I didn't want to bump the mic, I'd get up and give you one. Mm. And then we're connected to the earth. So all of this stuff that seems kind of crazy and like, God, people always say, Oh, it's so much work. Like, how do you have a life? But what happens is over the course of, you know, for me, it's been 18 years of integrating these things piece by piece, just one thing at a time, you know, I mean, once a year, you add one little practice, you, yeah. you wake up and you, you, you put a pinch of uh, great Himalayan salt in your morning water and you, you wake up your adrenals and you alkalize yourself and you, um, you give yourself electrolytes and you just become hydrated and it feels really good. And just every night before I go to bed, I just take a pinch of salt, throw it in glass and put it on my nightstand and that's, it's not work anymore. Like I'm going to wake up and drink a glass of water anyway. Why don't I just take the extra, literally like half a second, mm. throw a pinch of salt in there? And that's what's been so nice for me, hanging out with you guys and, and everyone at the Bulletproof Conference, actually realizing that I'm not as extreme as I thought I was, you know, with the supplements that I take and the stuff I do with my food. And, you know, obviously to eat well, there's a lot of food prep involved. Um, I go to my job at Sky in, in London and people say, oh, you know, he's brought his own food in again. But you've got to think about this stuff if you don't want to eat the stuff that's in the canteen, for example. So just to know that I'm not the most extreme out there, it's yeah. actually given me a lot of uh, confidence, I guess. Oh, I'm on the right path and yeah, I can do it. And you guys seem to be making it work. You have a lot of fun in the process. It's cool, you know. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I started out an intro. So tell us about yourself and where you come from. Yeah. And then we've been hanging out. We're kind of so <laughs> yeah, enthralled yeah, with yeah. all this and just we're energized. I do, I do want to go back into your background um, and kind of just tell us where you come from. So you're a sportscaster back home currently. Give mm -hmm. us, you know, like a little a little uh, history on where you come from and, and how you ended up just being a podcaster and becoming interested in all of this. Yeah. Well, I, I was a radio presenter for about 10 years and then I got the job in Sky. And so I've been broadcasting for almost 20 years in the UK. Uh, yeah, so I'm a presenter on Sky Sports. It's mostly studio-based, but there's some stuff out as well. It's an amazing job. It's great fun. It's high adrenaline. It's high stress, actually. It's really hard to come down after an intense day at work and often it'll be i'll be on until midnight and that kind of thing but i love it and you know you get used to that that adrenaline buzz and sky, and sky sports is for the people here in the states is the equivalent of like an espn like that's the, yeah the mothership of all things exactly sports, yeah tv yeah. And reporting, yeah right i mean there are a couple of other sports channels but of course not, you're just the best no. yeah it, no <laughs> yeah. but it really is yeah yeah and, and the people who work at those other sports channels listening to this now will probably be <laughs> will probably say hey what about us but it really right. is the best yeah so right. it's great it's great to work there and it's a 24-hour sports channel that i work on so there's always something going on you might be chilling out uh, and there might not be that much going on all of a sudden it'll be super intense and, you know you've got to really switch on and you'll get that kind of um physical adrenaline surge at the same time so in the past you know couple of years or however long it's been that you've been working on your health and just mm. your general well-being and and also want to go into some of the nlp and eft yeah. and yeah. a lot of the other techniques you've learned have you noticed an increase in your cognitive function or your ability to be on or uh to control or turn on your flow state that performance state where you become more articulate and better at communicating and just keeping your thoughts together. Have, have, it, have any of that, uh, those things improved since you've mm. been working on some of this biohacking stuff? Definitely. I mean, firstly, I've had kind of two evolution, big evolutions in terms of my personal development. And that is firstly, while I was doing the TV and radio, I started studying NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, and um, started bringing out products, uh, audiobooks, ebooks, apps, and books based around the skills of NLP, you know, how you do things well, 
um, how to change the way the brain thinks about things, which actually going back to what you were saying about how, you know, in a way we're sicker than ever before. A lot of that is because we stress so much and we worry so much. And especially, you know, you'll be sitting in traffic and you have that massive fight or flight response. And yet you're not getting attacked by a tiger. You're just sitting in traffic. So changing the way that you hear the sound of your voice when it when you're feeling really stressed and the way that you see the world and the way that you feel and changing the way that you use all your senses to experience the world. That was the first kind of evolution of me realizing that I could do some stuff on myself to kind of um, be happier, I guess. And then a couple of years ago, you know this story already, but to, to tell people, I went on holiday to uh, the Philippines. I got really sick. I was in the jungle in the middle of nowhere. And um, it was a beautiful, it was a, a kind of, it was actually a vegan retreat called The Farm. Beautiful place. And I woke up one morning and I, I had a rash and I had numb patches on my face. And I, I'm, all my, my body was aching and I was really tired as well. And as you know, when you get numb patches on your face, the first thing they want to do is test for really serious neurological problems like a stroke. And thankfully it wasn't that, but I contracted some kind of tropical virus. To this day, they do not know what it was. You know, some kind of virus. I had to come home. I spent three months off work. Couldn't go into Sky at all. My bosses at the TV channel were so understanding and they just kept ringing every week and saying, getting a bit better? I'd be like, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, and eventually started to get better using skills that were able to help me switch off the fight or flight response. The NLP helped, but it wasn't enough. And then I started using... Uh, differences in diet, the stuff that we talk about on Zestology, and also emotional freedom therapy, which you just mentioned. So, yeah. Awesome. So you're a perfect example of someone who may have just gone on living their life without a deep interest necessarily mm. in the health stuff, maybe just on the periphery. Oh, eat my veggies and, you know, go to the gym here and there. And, you know, you make an effort to be healthy and you're not living on fast food, but then something happens, exactly. right? This is it's the same for a lot of people, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, that's, that's what happened for me. I mean, I, I spent the early part of my life just being, I don't know, so negligent about my health and just my physicality. And it was just like live free, die young, kind of wild rock and roll lifestyle. Right. Yeah. And then when that started to take its toll on me, which for me was quite young, I mean, in my 20s, it was like, oh man, I better investigate this wheatgrass. And, you know, I started with just the very yeah, pedestrian yeah. stuff. I have, you know, back then they had these, didn't have these fancy juice places we have now, but it'd be a little stand and you'd get a big thing of carrot juice, which was a horrible <laughs> idea because it's like, it's like drinking a soda basically. Yeah. But I started to investigate some of that, even while I still smoked cigarettes and still ate fast food and was really, really sick and wow, unhealthy. I, can't, I cannot imagine that Luke story now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I was making like a 20 questions thing to do some video interviews. And I actually, I showed you those. Yeah. And, and one of the questions was, when was the last time you ate McDonald's? I want to start asking like health yeah, nuts, yeah, that stuff, yeah. you know? And I was like, when was mine? I thought it was probably about six years ago. I remember I was on my way to Palm Springs. And I just started, I drove by McDonald's and I was craving one of their little apple pies. And I stopped and got it. And it was so delicious. It was just amazing. <laughs> I love those apple pies. But I mean, I used to eat like that all you the could time. You get this uh, podcast sponsored by McDonald's. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> yeah, totally right. right. <laughs> and, uh, but it wasn't until I started to need that. And the same goes, of course, for people with religion and spirituality. It's I've very rarely do I meet someone that's like, yeah, I'm pursuing meditation and prayer and 
I'm uh, studying a, a, a spiritual teaching or mysticism or something like that, if they haven't had some sort of emotional bottom, some sort of addiction or problem or pain or loss or trauma in their life that's, you know, gently or not so gently persuaded them in the direction of mm. healing and self-improvement and uh, personal development and all of that. So that's why I mentioned earlier the, the foxhole prayer. It's like you ask your average person, hey, you know, do you believe in some kind of God? They're like, eh, no, nah, I don't really go for religion. And then they get cancer and they're praying their ass off, yeah. you know? So it's like most of us just due to our human nature, I think are motivated by pain and by you know, the, the threat of our own demise or just, um, just general, um, you know, un, unhappiness and unfulfillment. So we start oh, to seek these things yeah, out. Yeah, you got it there. I mean, once I started the podcast and I had the idea of Possessedology while I was ill, it took about a year to kind of actually get it off the ground because I, cause it was so slow getting back to full fitness. But um, I started telling my friends about it. And you're right, you know, sometimes it's a really big thing. Or for most people, it's a really big thing that, makes them go deep into this stuff. But I wanted to bring some of these ideas to the mainstream so it wouldn't be until they were, you know, 55, 60 and having a heart attack or a stroke that they'd start to introduce some of these ideas a bit sooner. And I know that's really extreme. But I spoke to so many people and they said, oh, I need that. I need more energy, vitality and motivation in my life. Um, and they, you know, people are so tired and unsatisfied so often, especially people who follow a more conventional path in life. And that's not everyone. And, and some people are very happy and that's great. But people are, they're, they're, there's a real fatigue about day-to-day -day life. If you're getting up, you know, it's winter at the moment in the UK, you might leave the house and it's dark. You might get to where I, our Sky Studios, there are no windows because it's a TV studio. You might spend the whole day in a dark room <laughs> and leave and it gets dark at four in the evening and go home so you won't even see any daylight. Oh that's, just, that's just not... <laughs> good for a human being is it no it's very unnatural yeah so in that so there's a great example so say that that's your lifestyle that's what you do for work and it's just the way your life is so situated which sounds like a great life you know mm. you have an amazing career you're on tv you're making money you're an entrepreneur you have this stuff going i look at your life and i go wow that it looks like you're really doing well so would it be extreme for you to make a point to go out and get some sun which is like what humans naturally do we we love to bathe in the sun. We love to get in hot water and in cold water. We love to expose ourselves to the elements and just um, really experience nature. So if your life is so situated where you don't have the ability to do that, then something like an infrared sauna for you would be amazing mm. because that's kind of a, a technological way to, to simulate sun, really, right? And to get that heat, the heat of a fire that you would have had maybe... Uh, in your your ancient past as a human being yeah. right so so is there something about the texture of the light as well as the heat both yeah, yeah. i mean it's you know it's a different spectrum than the sun right because yeah. it's infrared spectrum so you know i don't know how all of that works but i know the sun has multiple spectrums mm. but heat is part of our human experience so mm. would it be extreme for you to seek out some sun some heat some exposure to the elements to some people they would say yeah to me, the lifestyle that you just described is very extreme. It's extreme deprivation of life force energy that you're getting from our natural environment. Mm. So sometimes if that's not available, we turn to technology. So this is... And it's extreme if you're eating badly at the same time. You oh know, my Because God. you're really just not feeding your body with what, with what you need. And a lot of people who work nine to five do that. But then the great thing is that it feels, I feel like at this point in time, there is a, a changing of consciousness and people are starting to become more aware of 
different ways that they can help their health. And I don't think it's just the fact that we're getting older either, <laughs> because I don't think our parents' generation would have been as into all this. Maybe here in California you would have been, but certainly not in the UK. Absolutely. It's exciting. Mm. The same goes for all things uh, in spirituality, too. I, I definitely agree that at this point I'm observing people becoming interested in just improving themselves and their life without having to hit rock bottom. Mm. Where, yeah, my parents' generation, it was when you get cancer, when you get heart disease, diabetes, then you become like interested in going to the health food store, mm. <laughs> right? Mm. But only when you're really pushed to the edge or you're not going to try meditation or read a spiritual book or something like that until you have a nervous breakdown from stress or, you know, you you go through a divorce or a death or something traumatic and you find that you have developed some kind of sense of faith in something in your life, right? And and I agree now because I meet young people all the time that are still healthy, they're still happy, they haven't had any significant trauma, but yet just from some innate motivation, they want to go chant at yoga class, mm. they... You know, they, they want to be healthy. They're interested in superfoods and herbs and these things. And I'm like, well, why are you doing this? Oh, I just think it's cool, you know? But I think, and I think the other thing about that is that um, I wonder if technology, having advanced so quickly over the last few years, has almost forced us to reappraise what we hold to be important. You know, I mean, I read this brilliant thing the other day. People gaze more into screens than they do into the eyes of human beings these days. That is an absolutely astonishing thought, isn't it? That, you know, you might be just staring at a kind of dull glow of a screen more than into the eyes of an exciting, unpredictable, beautiful stranger or person you know really well. I mean, what kind of life are we living when we just look at screens more than we do people? Yeah, yeah, well, that's, that's a really good point. See, this this goes back to, the, you know, my uh, sort of backward view of the world. I find that to just sit with someone in a very intimate way and look into their eyes is actually sort of uncomfortable. And mm. to some people, it's very unnerving. And it's something that I'm always working on improving because I just love the feeling of being connected to people in a in a very real heartfelt way. You know, that's just something that it's something you can't explain. It's just it's just a good feeling to be connected yeah. and in, in acceptance of yourself and someone and comfortable enough in your own skin where you can allow yourself to be present and vulnerable. But some people feel very very uncomfortable with that kind of presence and they're much more comfortable staring into their phone yeah and looking at instagram right so it's a way that we we use to actually avoid intimacy and i've seen this within myself and in, in relationships where it's just uncomfortable to be close and be vulnerable and it's it's so easy to hide in that technology so that's sort of the one side of it and the mm -hmm. converse size is that technology allows me to meet you because you go on YouTube and yeah. see my video and email me electronically and then we record on Skype and then I'm reaching your audience of, of listeners and yeah. vice versa. And so it's like, it's so interesting how there's always two sides of that coin. So you can't say technology's bad and nature's good. Sometimes um, they work together. And, and just the way of changing one's view on the world, I always think it's, I just think about things in a weird way. So technology is getting more intrusive, isn't it? So you're right. I mean, we yeah. couldn't be doing all this without technology, but the more intrusive it gets into our lives, I think the more there is a need to, and in my book, Relax in a Minute, I wrote about, there's a couple of chapters about switching off. And actually I wrote, I wrote that probably four years ago before I might've had an iPhone then, but it couldn't do all the things that it could do now. It's really hard to switch off now. Oh, I've been, yeah. you know, I've been trying here in LA a lot and that's been great. And actually, 
you know, when I'm not in a Wi-Fi zone, I can't use it anyway. But things like if I want to travel around, I have to use Uber. <laughs> I need Wi-Fi and therefore I'm connected and switched on. You know, I mean, life. And they say that now the Internet is the equivalent of a golf ball. And in 10 years time, the Internet will be the equivalent of, a, of the sun. <laughs> That's really? how quickly technology is going to expand in terms of everything that we use in our lives all i want is just for my podcast app to not crash like <laughs> and my printer yeah, to work yeah, you know yeah. what i mean you ever notice that sometimes with technology i'm like really like i have this you know this i go buy the most expensive fastest beefed yeah. up souped up mac and i literally can't print a word document yeah <laughs> you know, like my scanner won't work it's it's more like the hardware I find for I some reason. I just want my Uber to come to the right side of the road. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that you know, the technology kind of is a is a double edged sword, mm. and I think for me, I always just try to keep a very broad perspective on things in a context where I don't lean too far for or against something. You know, it's like I don't have to be for technology and against nature, or vice versa. It's just being sort of accepting of where humanity is at this level and trying to make decisions that improve, you yeah. know, the way that I feel and the way that I interact with the world and which enable me to bring my best self out the door when I leave every day. But there's just, there's weird ways of looking at things. Like, have you ever noticed that we call natural food organic and that we call unnatural food conventional, right? Mm -hmm. It's everything's yeah. backwards. Yeah. So conventional food should be food that just pops out of the ground right that's actually conventional yeah, yeah but we have a special name for food like that and they call it organic right where actually conventional food is totally unconventional in the course of mankind's and the planet's history we've got used to a strange way of living yeah we? and and the fact that you have a health food store every store should be a, why would there be a special store for health food store all stores should be health food stores. Then there's a special store where you go get poisonous food. It's called the poison store. <laughs> it's totally, it's, it's backwards, right? Yeah. Like, why is there a, a designated little, you know, mom and pop store? Well, I mean, now we have Whole Foods and stuff. But yeah. when I was growing up, there was these little hippie stores. And that was like the health food store. And it was this subsect of grocery stores that, you know, had a very limited stock of merchandise and had food that, you know, were supposedly healthy. Although most of it was oats and gluten and like wheat germ bins and stuff but uh you know it's just funny i look at things that way and i think because so many people that i introduce into my way of life find it to be extreme but from where i'm sitting the world is extreme and what the the you know the chemical pollution and electrical pollution and all the things that we're inundated with and so much just negative energy mm -hmm. and 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 dogma in the media and all of this that it seems extreme just to lead a normal, healthy, natural, you know, nature-based life when, in fact, the life that we have now is totally extreme and unnatural and weird. It's really weird that we live in these boxes called apartment buildings, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. that's weird. So if you were to go stay in a tent, say, like, once a month, uh, I go spend, um, you know, a weekend in a tent, people are like, oh, that's weird. You go sleep in a tent or you go sleep in a teepee? God, you're such a weirdo. You're a hippie. No, it's weird that we live in a box with conditioned air and conditioned water, and we live in this total false reality that's actually uh, counterproductive and counterintuitive to our biology and our health and well-being. Well, it's, it's definitely, I mean, the thing about doing all the stuff that you do is it takes effort. 
It takes effort to go up to the mountains and collect spring water. And I saw the stuff you need. You know, you have to think about everything from bringing the bottles to the little bits of cardboard that fit between the bottles so they don't. And then, you know, you come to your house and you've got a, a kind of oil thing that goes on top of the water so that the light doesn't get in there. And then you go camping, and you know, you need to plan to camp. And it's an amazing experience camping. Like the last time I camped was a few months ago at a festival. But um, it's a lot of effort. And also in the UK, it's cold. <laughs> so uh, that's not easy either. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'd like to jump into a couple of your areas of expertise as you you guys have noticed listening we're i mean we could just sit and chat about this stuff all day so yeah. it's it's more of like oh, a, it's fun to chat yeah. a peer-to-peer yeah. chat in yeah. this episode rather than like i'm going to interview tony wright and give us your <laughs> spiel you know i don't i just kind of wing it and that's my style perfect and i sat down with yeah. emily fletcher the other day and we started i said just give me the elevator pitch of your history yeah. and then i just want to find out who you are like let's yeah. just shoot the shit and like so the first question, when was the last time you went to McDonald's? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I just, you know, I want the spontaneity, but at the same time, you have so much to offer and you have this great website and your uh, books and eBooks and programs. You have like a lot of great content that you're putting out. So I'd like to hear about the basis of that. So let's, let's talk a little bit about how you, what EFT is. Cause yeah. I've, I've experimented a bit with that mm-hmm. too. I saw the movie, uh, what's the EFT movie? Um, uh the tapping solution yeah the tapping solution right and and i play around with that sometimes as well although i haven't gotten any training on it like Mm. you have so well actually i mean that's interesting because i'm not trained in eft i'm trained in nlp okay um and and i've trained to the highest level that you can go in there okay and that is an awesome set of skills and really one of the theories of nlp and the guy who invented it richard bandler who you know was invented here in california in the 70s and um there's a lot of hypnosis involved And his theory would be, you know, the past is the past. And if you can change the way the brain thinks about the past, that's good and you can move on to the future. Um, And that's over the last 10, 15 years that I've been studying it, it's worked so well for me in so many different areas. And I've, I've had loads of private clients. I've helped people, you know, get over phobias. I've helped people feel more loved. I've seen, you know, amazing changes, which is really just about changing the way that people think about past emotions and experiences the eft i haven't trained in but but after two months of having been off work and ill and in bed i was in total fight or flight mode from the moment i woke up to the moment i bet because i I was starting to think well this is a chronic fatigue issue and i can't get out of bed i found this guy who's based in london who specializes in nlp the tapping eft and fatigue so i went to see him and within 10 minutes, I knew that he would help me get better. There's no exaggeration to say this. I was in floods of tears, releasing so much emotion. And I kind of knew it would all be all right. And that was down to the EFT. So since then, I've been seeing him, you know, every couple of weeks. It's been, it's been an emotional journey. And now I am doing some EFT training in it. But that's not my area of expertise. That said, tell us what EFT is and how it works. Mm. You you ran me through it and, and our friends through it in the car the other day, yeah. you know, like the actual tapping mechanism. But yeah. give us like, you know, so you're not you're not an expert at it. We're going to yeah. give you that. But you do know how to do it and you have had oh, these yeah. cathartic trans, yeah. transformational experiences. So yeah. what is it and how do you do it? Well, the theory of EFT is that, and this is especially true for Brits, there's lots of emotion that's trapped in the body. And us repressed Brits, we don't like to let it all out very much. And um, especially when you think about my background, you know, I, um, you know, I went to boarding school um, and for 10 years, 
you know, the way to get through boarding school and not be bullied and be part of the gang is to not show when someone's, you know, when someone's actually affecting you, you just lock it inside and then it just stays in the head and the body. So the whole point of EFT is that you tap on various parts of the face and body and it releases energy and, and you tap on kind of meridian points that helps you to access the emotions that you have been kind of locking inside and maybe not connecting with and then releasing them. And that, you know, I know you say that my, my podcast comes from the kind of the framework of being naturally skeptical about stuff. I was, I wanted to go and see this guy because he specialized in fatigue, not because he did the EFT. But there is something about the tapping while, the, while you do it that, that frees and changes your energy around those emotions. It's really profound. And honestly, every time I go and see him, I'm not afraid to admit it. I cry a lot, you know, and I, I come out physically a different person to the way that I went in. Wow, that's mm, incredible. Yeah. yeah, it's it's cool to get a little reminder on that because, you know, like I need another thing to start, you know, adding to my day. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I, you know, having watched that film and played around with it a little, it is something yeah. that I've always, I have on my back burner of, you know, wanting to explore a bit more because I never learned the technique in the proper way. Mm. Although I have actually used it a lot in just, you know, my own experimental yeah. way. I haven't had an experience where I'm having this release of emotions per se, but mm. I've used it many times to just calm myself down. Say I'm going uh, to a shoot or I'm, you know, I'm, I have a job with a celebrity or I'm in this high pressure situation and, you know, I'm a bit nervous about how I'm going to be perceived or perform. And before I get out of the car, I'll run through the different mm. spots. So, you know, the there's the spot, the first the one. The karate chop. The karate yeah. chop yeah. on the edge of your hand, yeah. right? And then uh, above the eyebrows. Yeah. And then right below the eye. Well, the side of the eye. Okay, the below, side of the eye. the eye. Yeah. Then yeah. below the eye, then in the upper lip. Yeah. And then in the little crease in your chin. Yeah. Right? And then a couple inches below the collarbone. Mm. And then under your arm. That's it. Right? And then on the top of the head. And then the last yeah. one being on the top of your head. So and and just on that point, you know, yeah. I I'm not trained in EFT, but I am an expert in hypnosis, and a, much of NLP is based around hypnosis and self hypnosis and getting into a trance or meditative state or whatever you want to call it. And I think there's something very hypnotic about tapping, you know, because it's such an unnatural, weird experience that it takes you into a different place, takes you into a trance. That's interesting. Yeah, mm. it kind of does. So what what I would do is I would you know, based on watching the film and, and some interviews with the guy that kind of brought that film out. And uh, I'll, I'll acknowledge that negative feeling I'm having, say that mm. nervousness or anxiety, that fear about, oh, this thing's about to happen. Yeah. And that fight or flight experience that I'm having. And then I'll acknowledge that and kind of energize that feeling even more and bring that to my conscious awareness yeah, while yeah. I'm doing the initial tapping. And then... Mm. start to bring in a positive self-accepting loving feeling while doing the tapping on the Am second I kinda, round of tapping yeah yeah i'm getting yeah. that right then yeah that's perfect okay and yeah so just i mean what do most of us do when we have an uncomfortable thought or emotion we try and push it away and that's that's almost the reverse of what you what you actually want to be doing and that's why i've been to um brazil three times over the last couple of years on holiday and one of the things that i really felt like i learned from brazilians is that they're so emotionally open they're so passionate, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, anger or love or sex or whatever it is, they just wear their hearts on their sleeves. And that's, that's 
very different from how Brits are. Yeah, and, right. and, yeah, yeah. and I want to be more like that, you know, so I really enjoy seeing that. And you guys here in California are like that as well. You know, you're much more emotionally open. I think it's really good to be more open. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah. I agree in Brazil, the first time I went there, especially what I noticed was their, I mean, just such a romantic, sensual sort of mm. culture. I mean, and sexual, I would say too. I mean, people are really, especially in Rio. I mean, it's just kind of like- yeah. The energy there is just oozes sex and everyone's so fit and tan and beautiful. Yeah. And I, I noticed the first time I went there, it's one of my favorite places in the world, is that you'll see like a couple sitting in a little juice bar or something, just making out like mm. broad daylight. And they're like <laughs> full on making out like they're in an alley, you know, behind a nightclub or something like really getting down. And there's little ladies and kids and no one even bats an eye. It's just totally normal. It's not, you know, and I'm not talking about like an overt sexual act or something but mm. they are very free about their 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 humanity and and expressing those emotions and it, it, it's it's really interesting to observe that and you're right in the uk from my experience having spent a lot of time there yeah. as well uh definitely would be the polar opposite of that you yeah. know in a general yeah. way of yeah. course there's yeah. exceptions we're but, getting better <laughs> oh for sure but, but um when i meet someone from the uk yeah. like I really uh, am very cautious about whether or not I can hug them. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of a hugger. And so most people I meet, if, if we're friendly, I'll, hey, man, give me a hug, you know, and I'm not going to sit there forever and caress your back, but, you know, give a quick <laughs> embrace. And when I first started going to the UK, it was, I was when I was playing music and after the show, people would, uh, you know, you'd sign CDs and stuff like that. And and so someone would go, hey, great show. I saw you guys in this other town. And then I go, yeah, okay, man, come here, mate. Give me a hug. And they're like, mm. these guys would like, yeah, feel like freeze. You weren't, yeah, they would freeze. Or sometimes yeah. they look like they're going to punch me. And it was like, <laughs> I tried to kiss them or something. I'm like, bro, it's just a hug. I mean, in California, we just yeah, yeah. give you a quick hug, you know? So, But the other thing about that emotional availability is I was chatting to, um, to a Brit who's married to a Brazilian out there. And he said, yeah, it's not all good. You know, because as well as being very emotionally open, if they're not happy about something, they will let you know straight away, um, which can lead to very passionate arguments, I guess. Right. But again, there's, in, in a way, that's a good thing, right? To let it out and then it's gone. Right. Whereas what's the opposite of that? I think certainly I've been guilty in the past of not letting it out, not saying what's bothering me, but then it's inside and it gets worse and worse and you're not really being true and honest with someone. So. Yeah, the suppression yeah. and repression. And then you find, or what I've found is that I'll start to project those things out onto the world, right? In mm. forms of like blame and mm. condemnation of other people when really that stuff that's bottled up inside me and it's just kind of bubbling over because I haven't had the, the venue or the opportunity to express it. And that's, you know, this is what keeps therapists buying houses yeah. right yeah you know it's having someone that you can actually be vulnerable with and be free with so the eft is sort of a way that you can i guess sort of induce a kind of self-hypnosis in a, in a self-release mm. of that so that's you'll definitely... have to have me back on once i've done the eft training for sure yeah and i'm not doing it because i want to work with clients i'm just doing it because i know it works so well that i just want to know i want to understand more how it works so EFT sounds like a great way that we can start to uproot some of these suppressed and repressed emotions mm. and feelings, almost in a kind of self-hypnosis. And uh, you're not necessarily needing a third party to do that, just using the energy system of the body. Yeah. And um, Although the one thing I'd say on that is when I do it myself, it has a, you know, perhaps a tenth of the impact 
or a fifth of oh. the impact of when I go and see the guy. Really? Oh, it's, so it's okay. way different. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. I should go see a practitioner. You should. I need yeah. to add that to my one hundred and forty ninth crazy Always thing that I go do to on. improve yeah. my yeah. performance. So let's let's do this. Let's make a plan. Once you've done your proper training, mm. let's have you back on and yeah. give us you know kind of a well rounded episode Love just to. on that yeah. because yeah. it's an area that I think deserves more exploration. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. and. and y- you know that I'm I'm not really doing it because I want to be an EFT. I just want to understand how it works because it works so well for me. That'd be awesome to come back on and just do a, a show on it. Absolutely, yeah. and it's one of those things for the skeptics of the world. Well, oh, you tap on your head, tap on your finger. What's mm. that going to do? Go get acupuncture sometime from a really qualified acupuncturist yeah. and tell me how you feel laying there with the needles in you. Something happens to you when those energy systems mm. of the body are interrupted or manipulated and a needle is not that much different than a tapping on those centers i mean mm. all through all different systems of medicine through history chinese medicine and otherwise it's definitely identified that the energy moves through our body in a certain way and emotions are what they're if anything they're energy right mm. so you can see yeah. how that yeah. energy gets stagnant and stuck in different areas so to me it makes absolute sense although if you watch someone doing it, it they look like a nutter <laughs> yeah and i don't care these days i do it um you know in london we travel around on the tube the underground yeah. a lot. i'll do it on the underground and people sometimes sometimes people don't bat an eyelid because there's some pretty strange characters on the underground right. but sometimes people will start staring and i'm just so used to it and it makes me feel good and so i'll just do it anyway yeah welcome yeah. to my life uh, yeah. yeah i draw a lot of you know unwanted attention out in the world so we've got just a few minutes here left before we wrap up. Mm. And I one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about being kind of this is your niche and your area of expertise is NLP. So yeah. let's talk about how NLP has affected your life and how it might be useful to others. Mm. Well, I started learning NLP because I was a radio presenter and NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. I thought the linguistics part of it sounded really good and I could, you know, perhaps uh, put it into practice on my show. They had quite a long NLP uh, training course, about five months, and you'd go for a few four-day weekends, and then you'd get to come back and try the techniques out on your family and friends. And I thought, well, the perfect place to try these linguistics out because I'm on the radio at the same time. So I started using some of the language to make people feel better about listening, but also to get them to listen for a bit longer and to try and attract more listeners as well. In my own subtle way, well, I'd like to think it was subtle. I didn't want to be, I didn't want people listening to think, that sounds really odd, the language that he's using. So the amazing thing was that after a few months, the listening figures came in. You have to wait ages for the listening figures to come in. And my boss couldn't believe it because my, my listening figures had gone up so much that I was on the drive time show and I'd overtaken the breakfast show. And there are lots of different elements that might push your, your radio listening figures up. You know, how many people uh, might be in the car at any one point or what shows being advertised at a certain point. But my listening figures have gone up so much that I think it's because of NLP. And then they stayed up there for three or four years afterwards, always more than the breakfast show, which doesn't happen on radio stations. You know, the breakfast show is always the most listened to. That was my introduction into NLP. And then I started, you know, using it on myself in terms of the way that I, um, I felt about unwanted emotions, about negative feelings. I started using it on other people in terms of, when they wanted to feel more loved or get over a phobia um and it kind of went from there really so that's how you found it and what it's done for you how does it work give me an example like 
what I know about NLP would be more in terms of uh, persuasion and sales. Like, mm. uh, you come on my car lot, I'm a used salesman, and I'm going to embed commands, or I'm going yeah. to use... So that's a lot of the linguistic stuff, right? Right. Yeah. And not, not w with a nefarious intent, but I think this car would be really good for you, and yeah. it's a win-win. I want to sell the car, and I really think this is the best car for you, and it's a great value, and, you know, there's nothing... Um, no. There's nothing shady there's a, there's going on There's a phrase here. in NLP, you should always use your powers for good. Right, it's like <laughs> the it's force. It's you, like the you, force. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're taking on new coaching clients, you know that I'm sure they'll be paying you a lot of money, but you know that you'll be changing their life for the better way beyond what they pay you, and therefore you've got good intentions. Right, so it wouldn't be, um, to me, not at all um, non-integrous or, or mm. bad to use NLP for... Coercion, I guess it's like not a very positive yeah. sounding word, but you know, the way I look at sales is when, you, when you're offering a service or a product to someone and you're selling it and you really believe in what you have to offer and you know that it's, it's valuable and that it's priced appropriately, that you really are doing them a favor mm. by helping them to get exposed to it and to have yeah. it in their life, you know, otherwise you wouldn't be selling that particular thing. So, so my perspective of NLP is more of like, having to do with persuading someone to do something for some reason hopefully a positive mm. you know wholesome reason so how if you wanted to talk to me right now and sell me on an idea or convince me of something how might you use nlp in a very practical mm. way well it's really about changing the way that your brain works and your brain experiences the world around you now and past and future emotions and feelings and thoughts um, and so there's three main ways that we experience the world. Visual, so the things we see. Auditory, the things we hear. And kinesthetic, the things we, we feel and touch. And um, there are two others as well, which is taste and smell, but they don't tend to come up so much. So literally by playing around with the way that you experience these modalities, you can start to change your experience on them. So if someone's got a really strong internal voice, something you can do, and by the way, you can layer different techniques so you could do this in a bit of hypnosis at the same time but if someone's got a really strong internal voice and someone's got quite a critical internal voice you can get them to start thinking about turning that voice down almost like a radio you know imagine and noticing where the voice is is it in front of you is it behind you are you able to turn it down a bit turn down the volume and then can you move it to a different place so if it's quite close to you can you push it way away and also if that voice is really strong and quite critical um changing the, the completely changing the voice to sound like something really stupid so if it's your voice or if it's perhaps the voice of a parent or something like that changing it to the voice of mickey mouse you know and how does it sound then does it sound a bit ridiculous does it have less impact if it's telling you all this bad stuff and all of a sudden it's mickey talking to you rather than you that's just a small example of some people are very auditory so they experience the world a lot through sounds and they'll, 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 they will say stuff like, you, you might say, hey, Luke, do you want to go to the park? And, and you might say, yeah, sounds good. That might be an indication that someone, is, someone is, experiences the world in very auditory terms. And to start playing around with uh, the differences in how they experience the world would be really nice. Interesting. Mm. So, okay, so say, uh, <laughs> say uh, I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to rent you an apartment. I just, you know, I'm really interested in sales yeah. and marketing. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, 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 say, so you so, actually want to take it back yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to go backwards. <laughs> but I, I do like that. You're yeah. going for like, you know, more of the, the inner growth. But say I want to yeah. uh, rent you a, 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 an apartment on the mm. beach, okay? 
and so we have a meeting about it and we ha we've not gone to look at it yet so i might start to um embed uh, ideas and and thoughts that evoke some kind of feeling in you oh i'm telling you about the property and it just has this amazing sea mm -hmm. smell because you're yes. right there so you have that nice fresh salty air yeah. it's really neat tony and then um you know in the morning the sun comes up and you feel the warmth of that sun hitting you through yeah, your so bedroom you've got, window so you've, you've already covered the visual and the kinesthetic right and you can hear the sound of the waves as well right and that's almost exactly what i did on my radio show i started using really rich sensory language so when i was telling a story i tried to use the senses to appeal to the emotions as much as possible so people could really connect with the experience right and, and, and when you when you started what you were saying just then i wasn't i didn't quite know what you were talking about and then you started talking about all those emotions i thought wow so you started talking about all those senses right i thought wow that sounds amazing that house by the beach where you can hear the waves and you can feel the sun on you it does sound amazing doesn't right. it right so let's just take out the whole, you know, selfish motive of wanting someone to pay you money or agree mm. with you or comply with some of your will or demands or anything like that, because that could be kind of a turnoff to yeah. LP to some people. Yeah. I'm just really into marketing and sales and stuff like that. It's just fascinating yeah, to me. Yeah, it's used a lot in uh, sales. It's used a lot in um, therapy, sports psychology. Uh, politicians would use it a lot in their speeches as Ooh, well. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah, someone told me once. Um, you know, the most right-wing prime minister we ever had in the UK was Margaret Thatcher. Right. And someone told me once who knows a lot about NLP that a speech she made must have been written by someone who was very well educated in NLP and hypnosis because it was so hypnotic and persuasive. Interesting. Mm. So that would be maybe... <laughs> I actually emailed, I emailed a politician a couple of elections ago and I said, your advertising is so bad, um, you need me to basically... <laughs> change your message because i wanted him to win and they never go back to me so. interesting interesting <laughs> yeah yeah so what i'm hearing so say you know i don't want to sell you an apartment on the beach say i'm just trying to tell you a very engaging story for the source of uh, as a source of inspiration mm. or say you're doing a guided meditation let's just take something very positive yeah. and, and well-meaning and wholesome mm. right so i'm i'm taking you on a visual guided meditation and what comes to mind with me, having listened to a lot of those, you know, you put the headphones on and... You'll have to listen. I'll send you some of mine. I'd love okay, you to hear. cool, yeah, yeah. cool, yeah. I've got yeah. about a hundred of them. And, you know, there's, there's some on iTunes and there's some on my site and stuff. So Awesome. Yeah. So, like, it seems like in something like that, then that would be um, really more of a, a spiritually, mentally beneficial motive, right? You really want to convey um, mm. some value to yeah. someone and you don't have any motive other than than just giving them an enriched experience or a story and... I guess that's really the purpose of some books and and films right is to is to take you into another world and give you some reprieve on your own and um and so it can be used for purposes like that too oh, yeah. right and i mean i know that it's interesting because you had emily as a guest on your podcast emily fletcher and she came on my podcast as well and i i've learned some meditation from her and i've loved it but i've been doing my own version of meditation for about 10 years with nlp and i call it self-hypnosis which is very meditative um, and it's awesome because you can take yourself into a very deep state very quickly. And then once you're down there, you can start to make changes as well. Do you want a quick example? Yeah, please. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I, lo a, I love this stuff. Yeah. There's a technique known as the Betty Erickson technique, which is basically Dr. Milton Erickson is the kind of godfather of hypnosis. And Betty Erickson was his wife. And it's a really quick hypnosis technique. And I use this. When I'm in a really high adrenaline situation in TV, I'll do this 
in maybe the one minute before we go on air. Like a couple of weeks ago, I did an outside broadcast in the north of England. There's, you know, thousands of people in the arena. There's 60 people working on our team for Sky Sports, and I'm the kind of figurehead. So if I mess it up, then it reflects badly on everyone. So I, I want to set a good example, and my adrenaline's really high. And so I did this for about 15 seconds in the minute before we went on air, and it really zoned out, really helped me drop my adrenaline levels and get super into flow. And that is focus on three things that you can see right now. So three different things might be um, the color of the walls or the particular kind of tone of the light that you might be looking at or, you know, what carpets on the floor. And then three things that you can hear. So three different things that you can hear and notice the different tones and sounds and pitches and the different levels of volume of those three different things. And then notice three things that you can feel might be the, the chair that you're sitting on or it might be your beating heart, or it might be the temperature of the air on your skin, and really connect to those feelings and try to experience them as deeply and as richly as possible. And if you can do that for 15, 20 seconds without any other thoughts popping in, you've just brought yourself totally into the present. You know, because you're not thinking about the past or the future, you're just living in the moment. And that, of course, is a really great way to get into flow. So if I will do that, I actually did that before my screen test when I got the job at Sky and and it made a huge difference. So I was so nervous because I wanted the job so badly. (laughs) So I did that and now I always do it if it's a very high adrenaline situation, just doing that. Three things that I can see, three things that I can hear and three things that I feel. And if you want to be really extreme, you could do three things that you can smell (laughs) as well. And Depending on where you are. (laughs) You you want to be somewhere where you want to smell those smells. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go in the, because sometimes I go in like a men's room and I do some of my Kundalini breathing, you know, I I do my weird (laughs) stuff in there, the getting ready to walk into a presentation. I'm like, sometimes a men's room is not a great place to do breathing exercises, FYI, Um, (laughs) or, you know, focusing on the smells. But it's Mm. interesting when you were doing that, you know, and who knows, I could be imagining this, but I swear I started to actually get a little bit entranced. I noticed. You know, you did? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah I actually yeah. just calmed down. I was like, wait, Luke, what? how long have we been going? Watch the clock, yeah. you know. I had to bring myself back kind of. Do you know what? Um, your skin tone changed, and that's always a really good indication that someone is going to a trance. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because cool. when you do hypnosis, you're trained to, you know, you want to look at these things as an indicator of when someone isn't going into a hypnotic state and when someone is. Wow. Yeah. Well, hopefully we didn't just put anyone into hypnosis on the 405 yeah. freeway. Do you know what? <laughs> actually, I mean, that, actually, if you're, yeah, I was going to say before all my audiobooks, I put a little a thing just saying, oh, you know, don't listen to this if you're driving or operating machinery. Right. So, you know, but it, it's not a full hypnotic download. I think it will be all right. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. And yeah. just for the chat, um, I'm going to wrap up the show. And before we do that, I'd like to ask you my final question, which is... No, you haven't given me any pre-warning of this one. I don't okay. typically do that. Okay. Everyone's, I vibe someone out if they're a little nervous, I yeah. might warn them beforehand. Yeah, but it, cool. it's really I'm not easy. nervous. I'm, I'm excited. It's easy and yeah. it's it's um it's meant to be a spontaneous answer. And you, mm. you probably get a different one every time you answer it. But I'd like you to name your top three books teachers, training programs uh, that you might recommend to people that want to improve their lives? Like what have been the three most impactful teachers or teachings in your life? Mm. Um, have you read The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin? No. He's a cool guy. He's, he was a chess prodigy at the age of six. And there was a film made about him called Searching for Bobby Fisher. 
which which blew up and he became famous because of that and then uh he stopped playing chess at 18 and he learned i think it's taekwondo don't quote me on that but i'm pretty sure it's it's definitely a martial art and he became a champion in that as well he's a very high achieving person and it's all about getting into flow states the book is fantastic and i love chess as well so i love the book because of all the chess stuff but just the way that he gets into flow is really interesting so that's the first one awesome okay. um, i you and i've spoken about robert cialdini um influence the psychology of persuasion you know if you're interested in some of the linguistic techniques that we've been chatting about in this show he's the world's foremost persuasion expert um and uh i learned a lot from his book i'd love to get him on my show actually but it's really fun as well you read through all the stuff and you think and again he does it all all the techniques with integrity too so i'd say that Yeah, from what i understand he's quite a stickler for the integrity piece and and you know using your powers for good yeah because the persuasion I've, and i've had that book for some time neil uh, strauss actually recommended it to me yeah because it's one of his favorites and i got it and one of those ones that's unfortunately been on the shelf but uh uh, another friend of mine, uh, Justin, uh, studied under him. He was one mm. of his professors. And Justin has, like, from taking his classes, has this inherent sense of inte- integrity. He's mm. very strict about any marketing and sales because yeah. he's, he's consulted School of Style on some things. And, you know, we think, oh, we'll do this and we'll get sales. He's like, no, no, no. Yeah. You know, you have to be super, super honest. And if you're going to use these sales techniques and these persuasion, like, mm. it has to be integrous. Otherwise, you know, you, you slip into negativity. So, yeah, I, I know just without even having read his book, mm. that he's quite a stickler for, you know, using those type of uh, linguistic technologies mm. for good. Mm. And the third one, I mean, obviously, we've spoken about NLP quite a bit, and I'm not going to re- recommend any particular NLP because whilst I trained in those skills to the highest level that you can train in, I use loads of other stuff as well. And actually, when I started doing the NLP trainings, you know, it's quite kind of old-fashioned in some way. You know, um, that very kind of bombastic style. Anyone who's been to one of Tony Robbins' seminars, I wouldn't necessarily say he's old-fashioned, but, you know, it's a very particular style. And Tony Robbins, by the way, it's all NLP, all the stuff that he does. It's just, and he learned from the guy who invented NLP as well. Um, I, I mean, you and I went to the Bulletproof Conference fairly recently. I think... Dave Asprey, what he's doing in terms of nutrition, but also there's a lot of personal development. Um, there's a lot of uh, improving yourself. He's big into meditation. He's big into exploring different techniques that can help the mind and the body. So I, I, I love his stuff. And, you know, it's, it's much more down to earth and less bombastic and a bit more self-deprecating and honest. So, yeah, I think his stuff is great, the, the podcast and everything else that he does. Okay, well, thank you for that. And I love those three recommendations. A couple of them I'm, of course, familiar with and love Dave Asprey and have mm. gained a lot from the stuff that he's uncovered for us. I, so, I'd love you to read that book, the Josh Waitzkin book. The, I, you know the what? The Art of Learning. The Art of Learning, yeah. noted. And we're going to, of course, put all of this in the show notes, mm. but I've never heard of that. So yeah. that's another one I can put on my shelf for two years and then eventually yeah. get around to it. You know, recently I've read a lot of uh, um, the best personal development books I've read recently and, in fact, ever. They all basically just tell a really good story and the story acts as a powerful metaphor so neil strauss's new book the truth josh waitskin talking about chess and tai chi um dan harris who wrote 10 Percent happier which is a brilliant book by the way you know he's an anchor on abc's good morning america i think and he had a kind of on-air breakdown and he used meditation to change his life the whole thing's a story and then 
you're constantly applying that metaphor to your own life. It's just much more enjoyable to listen to rather than do this, do that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I agree. When there's a story attached and a more human personal element, mm-hmm. it's much easier to apply it to yourself mm-hmm. than a theoretical, really analytical type teaching, right? Definitely. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing those. And thank you so much just for coming by the place, you know, Story thank Studio you. here. Yeah, I loved it. It's been awesome. Yeah. It's <laughs> I, mean, been I don't really know. Cool. I, but like, I know you have to be somewhere. I'm like, oh, man, I want him to try the sauna and the uh, electrostimulation. I have all these other gadgets, but we, we'll do it another time if we don't have time today. No, it's uh, been so, awesome. And, you know, obviously, like, thank you so much for kind of doing the stuff for my show as well. It's been brilliant. And yeah, it's been really good fun. I love it. Yeah. So, in closing, tell us where we can find you. What are you up to on social media? Where website services products any of that give yeah. us the whole spiel um on social media everywhere my name's tony Wrighton. it's tony which is t-o-n-y-w-r-i-g-h-t-o-n and the podcast is zestology with a z zestology and you can just search for that on itunes or wherever and you'll find it amazing thanks so much for coming in tony and it's great to see you again thanks Tony. Thank you for joining me on episode 11 of the Lifestylist podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss episode 12 next week with Kundalini Yoga Master, Tage Khalsa. And make sure that you take a minute right now to download this week's episode upgrade by texting the word Lifestylist11 to the number 44222. Again, text Lifestylist11 to the number 44222, or just go to lukestory.com forward slash Lifestylist11, and you'll get your free download there too. Remember, the episode upgrade includes all of the active links and resources discussed in this show, as well as my featured favorites, which are some of my favorite discoveries of all time, shared directly to your inbox. And as always, I'd like to request that you share this episode with a friend and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review in iTunes. You know what? I really like you. You know why? Because you listen to my podcast. You know what else I like? I like Bulletproof Coffee. So put those two things together and what we've got is a sweet discount code at Bulletproof.com for you. That's right. Enter the code LUKESTORY at checkout and save 10% off your order from one of my favorite nutrition sites of all time. If you haven't had Bulletproof Coffee by now, I don't know if you've been living on Mars or what, but it's a game changer, guaranteed. And if you're not into coffee, there's tons of great chocolate products and all sorts of things. The hot cocoa is amazing. So there are alternatives if you're not a coffee drinker like myself, but I just encourage you to get over there and check it out. It's a very stellar company with some amazing health-related products. Save 10% by entering the code LUKESTORY at checkout.